All right, um, I want to talk about something tonight in a few minutes. It's a very important, I think, in the context of where we are and application. And it's all around the word blessing, blessed. So we'll come back to that in a minute. Um, also, just um, as I said on Saturday, we... Uh, we wanted to introduce another category into uh, our Wednesday IQs, which is always all about the I in Q and the intelligence of Q, and uh, was this thing that I said more at IQ, because um, <clears throat> having been, I think, really disciplined and good to adapt to the new skills required for our, uh, um, <clears throat> at our house now under, the, under Q, um, <clears throat> we obviously are staying very disciplined to... To, to the subject and to the issues that we talk about and so it means you cannot where, where things you would like to expand a little bit obviously you just can't on a Sunday so <clears throat> I wanted to create a little space for anybody who who might have shared on um, in the Sunday format to be able to say I want to pick up on that and say a few a few things just to help us in teaching and in the whole heart and soul of the house so, uh, so hence, hence what we're doing tonight is, is um, <clears throat> a pick up on some thoughts uh, from that. Um, also, um, I hope you're catching what we're trying to achieve on a, on a Sunday, um, <clears throat> which has got nothing to do really with anybody's preference. It's to do with what does the moment require, what does the time require. And um, I, I thought I might be less happy with it than I actually am, um, you know, because I like to wax lyrical and say a lot more, but actually I have felt extremely content and extremely fulfilled um, each week and actually have not gone away thinking, <clears throat> oh, I, I wish I'd had more time to do X. I've come away feeling we've done what we were supposed to do. We've said what we needed to say. We've, <clears throat> we've functioned well as a team. We've tied the whole thing together and it has a message. And, uh, and so I appreciate, I appreciate your um, being with us on that. We will continue to, to make that journey. I, again, I think that we are uh, breaking ice because I don't know anywhere else that is doing what we're doing or trying to do what we're doing at the moment. <clears throat> Partly because it doesn't, it doesn't serve <clears throat> uh, a community who is overweighted on religious thinking. Because it doesn't provide the elements that we think this is what should happen when you're coming to church, blah, 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 blah. Um, and a comment was made um, by someone <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago, which, which was that, oh, I, you know, um, there was nothing really spiritual in it. Now, I would beg to differ and say it was totally and completely spiritual. It's absolutely saturated with spirit. What, what that person really meant was there was no religion in it. There was no tradition in it, and uh, and they were quite upset. Well, you know, we're we're not here to serve that requirement, but but my my belief is <coughs> that it's saturated in spirit. It it, it it is worked in some different ways, but it's saturated in spirit, <coughs> and the message is clear. And I'm I am very um, I'm very uh, very encouraged <coughs> by what we're doing and where it's going. So. You know, thanks for your support. Stay on board. We're keeping going. It's good because it takes a lot more work from a lot more people than it ever does, you know, doing a few songs and then getting up and preaching for 
45, 50 minutes takes a lot of work, a lot of preparation. So I appreciate the team as well. Um, that actually it's much harder to do what we're doing now than it ever was to do what we were doing before. <clears throat> and so, you know, we need people not to be frustrated in a good spirit and to flow. And it's, you know, we're banging ideas around and talking and, and a lot of people involved. So, uh, yeah, so keep, keep believing with us, keep praying with us. And, uh, you know, I'm just saying to you personally, I think we're on the right track and uh, we're not going back. Is that all right? Okay, so let's just uh, pray real quick. Uh, Father, we feel you are constantly drawing us <coughs> from outside, from inside, and uh, constantly seeking to pull us into the awareness of the fullness of who you really are. And I just pray that we'll be um, humble enough and hungry enough to allow what you are doing to draw us to where we're supposed to go in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I wanted to pick up some thoughts when we talked about uh, the parable of the musk deer Sunday um, before this, this last one. And of course, I think, I think this week also uh, carried on some of that theme. And I think all of it has had um, a continuing theme about the bigness and kingdom within and all that. Uh, all that stuff. But I wanted to just expand the whole thing about, about who we truly are. Because in that parable of the musk deer, if you remember, it was all about, you know, the musk deer will even commit suicide running off the edge of the cliff because it's looking for this scent that is so alluring, so drawing, <coughs> without ever realizing that it's coming from himself. <coughs> that he's actually, he's actually a source of the fragrance. And um, <coughs> in, in view of thinking about that, the... Um, uh, this whole principle came up about that which you seek is within you. And how we spend so much time um, exploring external things, trying to find something that actually comes from within that has to be released. And I, I think, you know, the more I go along, when, when I hear, hear scriptures like when Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you, you start to make sense of it as you begin to pull all these, these strands um, together. And I think, I think as well we need to realize that um, religious practice and ceremony is no different to clubbing or drug taking or dating. Um, it just isn't. It, it, it's, it's actually people trying through the same method, which is externals, to try and find what it is that's internal. And uh, of course then we think we've found it if we have temporary pleasure from something that we achieved somewhere where we arrived. So, so we, we're driving for an understanding of, of, I'll call it the deeper spirituality, but then of course we said everything is spiritual, so that all gets very confusing, because yes, everything is spiritual, and then you have to break the story down a little bit and use some mixed metaphors. <coughs> so the question, uh, really, that I want to wrestle with tonight, and these words are going to be important. Blessed, blessing, bless. It, it, it's a critical word in, in, in scriptural text that keeps coming up right from the beginning and all the way through. And I think if we can get an understanding of this a little bit tonight, um, then it's not just about what is it that's within us, but what does that do for us, what it is that's within us. Um, so the question then would be, what is it that is within us? Um, 
because we can say phrases like, well, the kingdom is within us, but what do we mean by that? And, uh, you know, as Jenny rightly put, and I think it's again a good observation of um, uh, understanding biblical principle in a 21st century setting that, that we don't understand kingdoms like they understood kingdoms. So therefore, you know, if you said to them the kingdom is within you, they meant the most powerful, the most expansive, that's what's within us. And so uh, it's not wildly outrageous to, to talk about things like the universe, the whole universe is within you. Now, that feels weird to me because it's always been associated with kind of new age and crystals and all that kind of stuff. Um, but actually, if, if we really understand it, as we showed that week, the, 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 the molecular essence of everything in the universe is the same. So we're actually, we're only different to the stars in where we are and what we look like, but in our molecular structure, we are actually made of the same essence as the stars of the universe, of, of the bigness, and that's because... If God made it all, and it all came out of God, and we came out of God, then it all has got, whatever it was that God is, has gone through the whole thing. Which is a fascinating thought. Um, but, but even then, when we say the whole universe is within us, again, what, what are the implications of that? What does that really mean? How do we begin to, to grasp that? It can be a, a, a kind of a... A statement that we make to explain a feeling that we have without us ever really understanding the statement, if you see what I mean. Um, now, Chris and I have, have several ongoing conversations of things that we differ in, um, which I think is healthy. <clears throat> I think it's really good. It irritates the snot out of me, but it's really good. Um, and it's uncomfortable, but it's good because... Because diversity helps us to grow. Um, conformity will not help us to grow. Conformity simply means that we, we endorse and reaffirm things that we already think that we know, which means that if the things that we think we know are not fully correct, they will never be changed because all we're doing is reconfirming that. Now, when, when we have, when we have uh, different thoughts and when we have uh, um, not conformity but we actually have a sense of diversity that, that challenges us to have to think things through. And what is also good, which I, I did not understand as a younger person, and, and by that I don't mean 16 or 17, I mean like in my 50s probably. Um, what I didn't really understand was, 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 was the true value of all that, the... the the, the fact that it wasn't, it wasn't a problem not to have everybody agree on everything, but actually it becomes a blessing. So, as I've said to you before, the things that we say is not that you have to believe this, it's that this is why I believe this, and I think I have good reasons, and, and we throw it in. So, we, we have a lot of things that, well, no, we, we have several things on which we diversify, and... One of them, for example, I'll just share this with you, it'll help me to launch into this, is that um, in Chris's upbringing, there was a lot of, a lot of restriction uh, uh, and authoritative restriction. 
which of course that becomes your image of if, if, if your upbringing has you connected to church and God and your upbringing is restrictive and authoritative, then God is restrictive and authoritative and the church is restrictive and authoritative. Um, and, and God becomes a bit of an ogre as you get older because you think God's cruel. And so for those kind of people, and, and Chris won't mind me saying she's one of those, it's helpful to her for God not to be that person, but actually be something beyond a personal locator. So universe, big, massive, beyond that personal thing, because the association with that personal thing is restrictive and authoritarian. Now, for me, that was not my experience. So for you to tell me God is in the whole universe does not for me. It's like, yeah, I get it, but... But I need him, I need, I need to be able to locate him. And I, I need him more personal. And I, I, I need something that I can say, God is this. So so we are we are different types of people, and, and there's actually no conflict in that when you understand that it's 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 our understanding of God attaching to how we've been raised and what our previous images were and therefore that determines how we need to understand uh, God's relationship with us and who God is. So I personally struggle with no defined outcome um, and, I, and I certainly struggle if there's no defined outcome other than accept. So if God fills the universe and you're part of it, just accept things. I, I can't live with that, I can't get by with that. Um, some can, but for me, if, if, that's, if the whole thing is just, God is this, so just accept your lot, just accept the world as it is, just accept life as it is, I, I struggle with that. Um, so, so I think there's something within the wider story around all of us, um, and all of this that tells me that I can affect outcome. Now, now, that doesn't mean I can shape everything according to how I would determine it should be shaped. But, but the whole idea that I can affect doesn't mean I can determine the outcome. Doesn't mean I can dictate the outcome. But the question is, can I affect the outcome? Because if I can affect the outcome, the question is, what am I affecting it with? And if we're saying that, that the whole universe is in me, the whole kingdom, the universe, all that essence is in me, then, then whatever it is that's in me has the ability to affect. The question is how and by what means does that come if it is, if it is true? So if there's something within the wider story around all of this that tells me I can affect the outcome... The question is, what is that something? Now, I would propose to you that something is this. Blessing. And uh, so that requires a little bit of a, uh, an explanation as to why that would be the something that allows me to affect outcomes. Um, it's interesting that in Genesis 1.28, which is the... Which is, it's first 28 in the whole thing. God made man in his image, in his likeness, made he then male and female in verse 26, 27. And then the first thing that God does for or towards human creation is in verse 28. It says, and God blessed them. 
So this is the first act of God onto the fledgling human who, who is just about to begin his journey or their journey, however you wish to view it. The, the thing that is uppermost in, in God's heart to do for them in equipping them from the beginning is to bless them, okay? So this is the first act of God towards humanity. He blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, every living thing that moves on the earth. Um, without going too deep into this, that would therefore suggest to me that fruitfulness and multiplication and expansion are proportionately connected to blessing. So if they can appreciate that they are blessed and understand what it means to be blessed, then the consequence of that is fruitful, multiply, fill, subdue. So we're right at the very beginning, this, this, this introduction of and connection to this concept of, of blessing. So going on from there, one of the reasons I got struck on this is because um, when we were thinking about what we were going to do that week, and we were still in, in Salt Lake City, um, I woke up in the morning, clear as day, and uh, going around in my mind, just, just like, a, just like a, a record on repeat, was praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So this is going on in my head. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, it wasn't appropriate to, um, to talk about this, nor was the time in the context of what then emerged into being and morphed into being... Uh, um, the story around the muscadier. But, of course, it, with intrigue from this and wanting to carry on the thought and the question that was in me of, of if, if what I seek is within me, what is that? And if it's kingdom and universe, but that's not enough for me because it doesn't focus me on a thing, on something, then could it be that this moment of inspiration is where my heart needed to go and therefore where I, I want to take your heart tonight. However, uh, I want to cover it. It's in Ephesians chapter 1. And I just want to cover really from verse 3 through to verse 10. Um, in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 um, is where that scripture I quoted is. However, I want to read it to you from the New King James Version because... There is a slight discrepancy between the NIV, which says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the New King James, which says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, uh, this is not picky and semantics. It's actually, I think, really important because um, the praise be to is not telling me about the the nature of the one who is about to make the statement about what is going to happen to me. And if you look in the, in the Greek, the, 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 there are, there in that verse, uh, blessed comes up three times. Blessed, blessed and blessing. Now, they're all 
They are three, a bit like you have where, where's, and weren't. Those kind of things that are different. This is like, this is like three, three slight differences of, of one word, but it's actually the same word, which in essence is the word blessed. Okay, and we're going to explain that in, in just a moment. So, so, as I read it in the New King James, it intrigued me even further because it says, blessed be the God, which is also interesting because it, it's, it's, it's really declaring that there is one God, there is the God. Um, and, of course, our thinking has broadened some on how people perceive that, but it's pushing us down that line. But it says, um, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So, I find it interesting. It says, blessed be the God. Which means that God is blessed. Praise be to God is an entirely different thing. Praise be to God is something that I am sending to him. Blessed be God is something that he has to give to me. Do you understand the difference? Praise be is us saying we have to go that way to God. Blessed be the God says it's all coming this way. And that blessing is not an idea that God invented to bestow upon humans because of how pitiful they were. Blessing is something that God has that he shares with humanity because he wants them to flow in the same source that he flows in. Now remember, the main thing we talked about in the musk deer trying to find where the scent came from, and I tried to emphasize this, was the issue is the source. You've got to find the source. If you find the source, you'll stop doing the stupid things. So in understanding blessing, if we can understand the source, we'll stop coming to stupid conclusions about what we think blessing is. So we start off by saying that, um, that uh, basically God is blessed. That is his state. He lives in a blessed state. So, so it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. So... The one who is already blessed has blessed us. So therefore, whatever it is that us have been blessed with must be the same that he is blessed with. It must be the same essence. It must be the same content. It must be the same context. It must be the same thing that it is already in God, but it says he blessed us. So God doesn't bless us as a, oh, bless him. That's how we use it, oh, bless them. Poor little pitiful creatures, bless them, just bless them. This, this is not pity that's trying to help an inferior life form. This is the sharing of an essence with the ones who have been made from that essence and of that essence and therefore can now live in that same essence. That's why Jesus said, I and the Father are one. See me, see him. Because he understood that the blessing that he lived in was the same blessing that was on the Father. So, so the, the truth here is the one who is blessed has blessed us. So God blessed them and said to them... 
Uh, no, that's the wrong scripture, sorry. I'm in the Ephesians 3. Uh, so, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, and then with every is the word. It's an accurate translation of the Greek, every. Which means absolutely every. Nothing lacking, nothing missing. What is the every about? He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. So let's just drop the word spiritual for a minute. The one who is blessed blesses us with every blessing. Which means that whatever the blessing is on the originator is exactly the same blessing that is on me. No different. It's not a human-sized blessing. It's a God-sized blessing. It's not a human-orientated blessing. It's a God-orientated blessing. So nothing's going this way. It's all coming that way, which I like, because the more we understand it's all coming that way from God, it means we don't mess it up. So, blessed be the God Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with Every blessing. Now, the word in the middle there is every spiritual blessing. In the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm going to get into the whole mixed metaphor debate about everything is spiritual, but, you know, does that mean that pen is spiritual? Does it mean this plastic is spiritual? And if so, why is it polluting the oceans? And, you know, those kind of questions that can come up. Um, which you've got to understand it in the general sense, okay, that comes from something called dualism that tried to separate man from God, the, the, the carnal from the divine, when actually God said, we're one, we, you're made in my image, my likeness, and we are one, that's because we've covered that with what we've said about, about the blessing. But I think the whole thing about spiritual blessing is... It's trying to point us in the direction that says there is something beyond, more than, and, and outside of just, just human, physical, flesh and blood existence. Now, we know that essence is within us, but sometimes you've got to make that specific distinction that this, this is not something to be imagined from your experiences on this level. This is a spiritual blessing, which means that it's pure. Yes, we are, everything is spiritual, but it's to break our thinking from this is just, I can, I can equate this to how my mum dealt with me or our dad or how this person was kind. It's trying to say, no, it's above and beyond all of that. It, it, it's a spiritual blessing where in the heavenly places, in other words, the origination of this is outside of this world. It's outside of creation. It's beyond creation. It's before all things. It's in all things. It's just big. It's just amazing and it's trying to teach us this is not restricted within the small-mindedness or the limited experiences of our human existence nor within the boundaries of our pathetic attempts to theologize God and bringing down to a doctrine and a dogma it's bigger it comes from the heavenly places not from the theological schools or the pastor's conference, or even your prayer room, it comes from beyond that, be more than you could imagine. So it's trying to paint us the picture. The blessing originates with God. And it flows down to us, and it brings us every. Everybody say every. I hate people repeating it, but say every. 
every spiritual blessing, every. That doesn't sound to me like there are rules and regulations and restrictions in there because it says he has blessed us, not you have qualified for, not you have achieved the status to receive, but he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing outside of our experience in the heavenly places and he's done it in Christ. So we are blessed with the same blessing that rests upon the divine. Every spiritual heavenly in Christ are the words. Every spiritual heavenly in Christ. That's the blessing, okay? So, blessing, why blessing? Why, why this particular word? Why this particular concept? For example, what's the difference between a blessing and a gift? Is there a difference between a blessing and a gift? And if there is one, what is it? Well, here's the important thing. The word blessing means to empower. That's what blessing means. So when it says, blessed be the God and Father, it says, empowered be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has empowered us with every spiritual blessing, every spiritual empowerment in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, so to bless means to empower. Now, now this is important for us to understand because we, we've become more gift-focused than blessing focus and the church has certainly become more gift focused now now there are gifts charis the greek word charis means gift so when we call somebody charismatic we are saying they are a gifted person they're 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 it doesn't mean they're bubbly it means they're a gifted person so um charismatic church means a church that operates in what they would see as the spiritual gifts so a charisma is a gift. It's also connected inseparably with grace. Charisma is grace. Grace is a gift. So, so we understand that, that gift occurs in the Bible and there are gifts of the Spirit and there are gifts of administration and, and, and serving and all those, those things that we would call gifts. And also we're used to giving gifts. You know, give a gift at Christmas or give a gift for a birthday. And, and it's all valid and there is a place for gifts. But there is a difference between a blessing and a gift. The blessing carries with it an empowerment. Blessed means there is an empowerment to act on what you have. That's what blessed means. You have an empowerment to act on what you have. Hence my reason for saying it's not enough for me to tell me that the universe is within me. Because if I don't have the empowerment to act upon what I have, then I could have ten universes within me. And it still wouldn't make a scrap of difference because you need to act upon what you have. Which is why I said telling some people the kingdom of God is within you, how do you act upon what you have? The whole universe is in you, but how do you act upon what you have? Blessing is the missing piece because to be blessed means to be empowered to act upon what you have. So we don't have to look for the, for the, for the, the, the essence, the scent, the fragrance, the life it's within us. But what we do have to discover is the empowerment to act on what we have. 
which all comes from discovering the source. The source is the blessing that comes from God because he is blessed and comes into this world from what I suppose we could call heavenly places. But get out of your mind what that might mean in terms of golden arps and clouds and... So blessing carries with it an empowerment. Bless means there is an empowerment to act on what you have. Blessed is a condition you must realise is true about yourself. Until you realise this condition is true about yourself, you will not be able to operate in what is the blessing of blessing. Because you will never understand the empowerment that you have to act, uh, the empowerment to do with what you have received to actually act upon it and make it a reality. So, so blessed is a condition that you must realise is true about yourself. We had a confession at one time, I am a blessed man, the favour of God rests upon me. Jesus, when he first read the scriptures after being in the... Wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Picked up the prophet Isaiah and read the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. Anointed is another subdivision of being blessed. There are lots of words we could look at and say, actually, they're all pointing to that same place. They're all pointing to empowerment and blessing is empowerment. God is empowered, empowers us, so that we have all the empowerment of heaven to make active what it is that we think that we have. So, the difference between a blessing and a gift. A blessing carries with it an empowerment, a gift carries with it a sentiment. We normally give a gift out of sentiment. And gifts are good, and gifts are wonderful, but they're often given out of sentiment. We give a gift... To equip. But there is a difference between equipping and empowering. You know, if I give you a pencil and you don't know how to draw, and I don't empower you with how you can draw with that pencil, I've given you the gift out of sentiment, but you are not empowered to do anything with the gift. And so no matter how many times the Bible talks about gifts, if we don't have the empowerment... In order to use the gift, we live in the sentiment of the gift. Now, I'm going to make a statement from my good Pentecostal heritage that a lot of what I was in was very sentimental. It was very focused on the sentiment of the gift. When actually at the root of the gift is the issue of understanding that we are blessed. So you can have, uh, in, in, in reality... You, you, a gift cannot be classified as a blessing unless it carries with it an empowerment. So, so even being gifted in the sense of learning information, unless there is an empowerment with it, actually all we've got is the gift of information, which was given absolutely in sincerity, but it's a gift of sentiment and it's not outworking. So, so. The issue here is, the reason I'm teaching you all this is because if we don't understand this, we might have information, but the question is, what are we affecting? What are you affecting in the process of your life? What are you affecting in the process of other people's lives? So the blessing empowers us, the gift enables us. So we actually need both. We need the gift and we need 
the blessing, but we need them both together. The gift enables us, the blessing empowers us. So, let, let, let me now just go through a few of these verses, just, just up to verse 10. Ephesians 1 verse 4. So, let me read the verse before and then come into this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That word places shouldn't be in there. That's what we add because we think heaven's a place rather than a, a condition. It just should just read every spiritual blessing in the heavenly, in Christ. Just as, verse 4 says, or in as much as he chose us in him before the foundation or, crea uh, or creation of the world. So, the, the criteria is, this, this is being given to us just as, or in as much as, or if you are part of this, then you've got that. So if you're part of verse 4, then you've got verse 3. Okay, because verse 4 says just as or in as much as, so, so this is where that comes to its application, in as much as he chose us in him before the foundation or creation of the world. So the question is, if you and I are chosen, when were we chosen? And this is a very important question. Because if you've chosen before you are, then you did nothing to warrant that choosing. But that choosing was an act of grace toward you, not a response for you. So he says, in as much as this, this blessing is in you, in, in as much as or for this reason that he chose you in him before the creation of the world, which means before any of this came into being, He'd already chosen you. You were already picked. He'd already selected you. So, if we take that a little bit further. Therefore, whatever was and is at work in that, that choosing, is the same that is at work in us. So, whatever's happening in, in verse 3 is the very same that's at work in us because we were chosen before the foundation of the world. So, what part did you play in it would be the question. And the answer is, if you were chosen before the foundation of the world, you didn't play any part at all. So, the other question would be, if, if you were chosen, how do you enact it? That, that is, if it must be enacted. Because it would be an assumption to say that somehow we have to enact that choosing. Somehow we have to make ourselves chosen by that choosing when the truth is you don't have to make yourself chosen by the choosing because you're already chosen. You don't make yourself any more chosen than you already are. So coming back to our deer, does the musk scent emerge because of what the musk deer is? Or must the musk deer force the scent to come out of it? The answer is the scent is a natural occurrence of the musk deer being a musk deer. And in the same way, the whole essence of God is not forced and cannot be forced. It's in you just like the fragrance in the, 
in the musk deer and so the blessing of God is the same. It's not something that you force yourself into or can force. It's something that you recognize and acknowledge that actually I'm chosen and this is part of me and I am part of it. Blessed. So when it comes to, to when it comes with that choosing, what is the impart, what is what's the imparted state within that choosing? So he says that we've been chosen just as you are in as much as he chose you in him before the creation of the world. What is what is the the imparted state within that choosing? So if he's chosen you, what is it? that is now in you because he chose you. And that verse goes on to say, to be holy and blameless in his sight in the NIV, New King James, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So does that mean that we have to become that or does that mean that we are that because we were chosen and we are blessed? What it literally means is that we are without blame, unblemished, faultless, unblameable, without spot which is what the Bible calls holy, which is the thing that we so often were striving for. And the reason we were striving for it, because we could smell it, what we thought we could smell was good behavior, behavior modification. That's what we thought we were smelling. So we chase behavior modification. Oh, if I don't drink, don't smoke, don't swear, don't sleep around, don't go to the movies if you were that way inclined, don't read novels, don't have your hair perm, depending on what generation you came from. All those kind of things were, were things that people have actually pursued and in all sincerity embraced because like the musk deer, they were looking for the fragrance. They could smell this fragrance called holiness, but they didn't know what it was and where it was. And so we tried to make it a reality by behavior. And I can tell you, many people have run off a cliff because of that. You know, many people have rubbed their scent gland off on the rocks of trying to be what you could never be because it wasn't what you were trying to be was never it. So you couldn't, you couldn't, become it and, and of course that's where you get then all the condemnation and the guilt and the shame and always trying to do more and do more and be better and be better when actually the essence of the choosing is that you are without blame, unblemished, faultless, unblameable, without spot. Now that doesn't mean you don't do anything wrong. It doesn't mean you don't fail but it means that when you do something wrong you're unblameable. When you fail you're unblameable. Because that's the result of the choosing that comes from the blessing that says, okay, that does not affect your standing before God. It does not suddenly put blame on you as Billy Connolly, my favourite comedian, and please excuse his language, I hope he's not too offensive to you, but I think Billy is absolutely a brilliant mind. But Billy was raised and sent to a, uh, a Catholic boarding school and uh, what he came away with, the only thing he learned was that Jesus died and it's your fault. That's what Billy came away with. Which, of course, is, is a summary of the essence that says you are blamed. Jesus died, it's your fault. But when we understand and try to piece together the nature of our blessing, we understand we are unblameable. God does not blame me for anything. He doesn't even blame me for my behavior. That's why Paul says there's this part of me that wants to do something and doesn't do it and doesn't want to do some other. And I see myself as a wretched man 
But then he says, but here's how God sees me. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. The law of the Spirit makes me free from the law of sin and death. He understood this blessing to where he says, yes, I get it wrong, but I'm unblameable. So I live with a pure heart before God. And that is true holiness. Holiness is not about what you think you have done. It's about you embracing who he is. And as you embrace who he is, who he is is who you are. Does that make sense? Is that So, without blame, unblemished, faultless, unblameable, without spot. Now, there's another word that I would bring in there that I would say in the Bible, we call that favor. Now, the Americans don't know how to spell this, so when my American friends see this, there is a U. The reason it's not just an O and why we have a U is because we're more cultured. We have greater history. We've got it more together. And sometimes you will add the U when you become cultured. Favor. Now, this is another one we can struggle with. It's one that Chris and I have had long conversations about. Favor. But you see, that favor comes from what it says... In verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in, in the heavenly in Christ. That's, that's called favour. It's, it's something imparted to you that you do not earn, or one could say couldn't deserve. But um, I would never say, for example, that Riley doesn't deserve me to be kind to him. So we start to get into some areas that really say some awful things about God. And I won't go down that rabbit trail. So, favour. Now, for Jenny, I'll put this in for Jenny. You can become an ite if you wish. A favourite, a favourite. You can become an ite if you wish. But whether you do or you don't, there is still favour over your life. See, we think you have to become a favourite, as in nobody else matters but you. But you see, the wonderful thing about the heart of God is he doesn't have to separate us into individuals and qualify according to our performance, so he puts favour on us. Now, you could say we're all God's favourite, but that doesn't help people who want to be God's favourite. So I like to leave the eight off. If it helps you put the eight on, but the truth is favour is upon us. We are dripping with favour. God sees us under favour. That's how God views people. Favour is on us that comes from that blessing. Um, so what, what does that destine for us? If, if we are blessed with the very essence of who God is and that's part of us and it comes from outside of our experience but is the fragrance that we can smell so it's a part of us not separate to us and that is favor upon our lives what does that destine for us what does it mean in the light of this to fulfill your destiny now there was a there was a trend going around for a decade of it was all about destiny discover your destiny find your destiny and uh, in some ways I'm, I'm glad that that is waned a little bit because what destiny meant to a lot of people was it's something that you have to look for and you have to find it and if you miss it you missed your destiny and therefore you're a lesser person you're a lesser human being you're less spiritual you're less godly and that somehow you're 
you're a second or third class part of the kingdom of God, which of course when you think of it like that is, has to be nonsense. So, so it can't mean that. So, so let's, let's just break this down for a few minutes. So we go to verse 5. So I'm going to come out of verse 4. Uh, just as or inasmuch he chose us in him before the foundation creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight or that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Now that statement has caused more trouble than you could imagine and I'm not going to introduce you to all the trouble but it's a doctrine called predestination um, which, which greatly came out of um, John Calvin in the 1500s during the Reformation period and um, their understanding of this scripture or their, their, their explanation of this is that it is not mine. And I'll, I'll, I'll make a couple of comments on that as we go. So the, the question is this word predestined. So they got the idea that this is all about somehow before you were ever made that God chose some people and predestined some people and that those are the people who would be the people of God and stuff the rest, but they didn't use those words. And I could use much stronger words because that's how, how badly I feel about what I think is wrong about that particular line of... Of, of teaching. Um, if we are predestined, because it says we are predestined, having been predestined, the question is what are we predestined to? What does that mean? I put here, is it like the line for the gas chamber or the work detail? So when the Nazis were gathering the Jews into the concentration camps and they would bring them out on the morning and you would get chosen, you would get predestined, one line would go to the gas chambers where they were told they were going to get a shower. And uh, there, are, there are, I think, equivalent lies in the kingdom of God about those kind of doctrines as the Jews going to the, the supposedly the shower that was the gas chamber. Or you were chosen for the work detail. So, so the problem with that for me is that all this is going to be according to the good pleasure of his will. So if God before creation chooses summer in and summer out because I know the choices that they'll make and the life that they'll make, first of all, it puts it all on our life and our choices and doesn't put it on everything that's said here is in Christ, by Christ, through Christ, in Christ, from God, blessing. It's not about us, it's about him. But if we accept that, then we have to say, that, that people being predestined for hell, which was some people think, is according to God, the good pleasure of his will. Which I say, give me a break. So you would have to say that people predestined not to be part of the kingdom of God, not to be part of his family, is what God wants and it's according to his good pleasure and God's happy about it. Now how much sense does that make to you? Because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Seems obvious to me from verse 5 that the way he has planned it gives God pleasure. I like that. The way he's planned it gives God pleasure. So if how you explain this cannot allow you to see that would really give God pleasure, then you've got the wrong explanation. 
You've got the wrong theology. You've got the wrong, you've got the wrong exposition of the text because it has to be able to say, this will give God good pleasure. So, uh, give God good pleasure or pleasing to God. And if we read then um, in verse 6, it says, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the well-beloved. So, so not only must it give God pleasure, our conclusion, we must say, do you know what? I, I can see that would give God pleasure. A bunch of blessed people, knowing that they're blessed, beyond their experience, beyond their action, knowing that they're chosen, knowing that they're favoured, and understanding that blessing is being empowered too. It's not the sentiment of a gift. It's the release of an empowerment. I, th- I think that would make God quite happy, and that would be good pleasure for him. So he goes on here to say, to the praise and the, of the glory of his grace, by which he made us acceptors in the beloved. So, so not only must it be pleasing to God, but it has to be to the praise and glory of, of his grace. Which is an interesting statement, because it says, however you interpret this, has to be to the praise and glory of his grace. Not the praise and glory of God as an essence, as a something, or as a being, but to the praise and glory of his grace, his unmerited favour, his free given favour upon people, the blessing of grace. So if it doesn't bring glory to grace, chuck it out because it's nonsense. By which he made us accepted in the beloved. So by his grace, he made us accepted in the beloved. So the blessing that is on God, that, that every part of it comes into us, for which we qualified because we are chosen, and because we are chosen, we are predestined to be sons and good pleasure is over us in favour and, and that's to the praise and glory of his grace. It says by that he has made us accepted. We are accepted. Totally, completely accepted. Now the reason we often can't grasp the blessing is because we struggle with the acceptance. Because we don't understand we're accepted because we're accepted. We think, yeah, but why am I accepted? That's, that's, that's the wrong question. It's a dumb question. There is no why. It's only our human experience that puts in the why. I don't think Adam, however we see that story, would have said, but why are you blessing me? As far as he was concerned... In, in, in his understanding of his connection with all things coming from the dust of the earth, having life breathed into him and the spirit and, and the essence of all that God is, he was never going to say, but why are you blessing me? So, so, so what's the reason we say, well, why would he accept me? There is no why. We're stuck in Genesis 3. We're stuck in Genesis 3. With, with the serpent and what we think is the fall. But I want to tell you tonight, you are accepted in the beloved, in the beloved. You are, and, and the reason he uses the term beloved is because he said your acceptance in the beloved is to the same degree that the beloved is accepted. 
So it's the same level of acceptance. You are accepted to the same degree that the Father accepts the Son and the Son accepts the Spirit and the Spirit accepts the Son and the Father and all. You are accepted to the same degree. I'm trying to get through to you that because he starts with blessed be the God and Father, he's showing that the origination of all this puts us right there equally within part of of it, it's in us, but we need to understand that blessing is empowerment. We have an empowerment then to affect things. But if we don't think we can affect it, I think very often we don't. By which he made us accepted in the beloved, okay? So, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood... The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. These two verses are worth a little, a little stop and a thought. We have redemption through his blood. Now, the problem is the people that decided that Predestined means that God chooses before the foundation of the world and then because we see that people are bad, uh, he chooses some people to stay bad and all that nonsense, uh, they also then come to the point of, ah, so we have redemption through his blood. So unless you've been redeemed through his blood, but he knows you are going to be redeemed through his blood because he's predestined that and it's like it all gets very complicated and yet very simple in another way that some people like. Because it, um, it's funny that people who believe this are never out. So I've often said my argument with Calvinism, for those who understand it, which is that, that you, know, you are chosen and some are not chosen, is I've never met a Calvinist who's not chosen. It's funny, isn't it, that they're always in, but others are out. I, I don't like that kind of thinking. It bothers me. Um, so... We are brought into that grace by his blood. Listen to the full thing. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. We are brought into that grace by his blood. To be brought into means to be redeemed. You, were, you were come out of something and you come into something. Now there is a deeper context to redemption which we can't talk about tonight. But I want you to get this thing that we are brought into that grace by his blood now, I'm going to make a statement here that, that could do with a lot more qualifying, but I haven't got time, nor do I intend to qualify it too much tonight. But the question is, are we brought into or bought into? Because if we're bought into, then a price has been paid. The question is, a price to whom and for what? And you get into that whole debate there. But if, if his blood brought us into something, it means that it's all about what his blood has accomplished. Therefore, it's accomplished it for everybody because it brought us, it brought us into, um, into the forgiveness of sins, but in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So the question then is, what is the truth about forgiveness? And uh, I've shared this with you before, but I think it's critically important. Because if we understand redemption as the paying of a, a debt um, by which you then are no longer beholden to the debt 
And then forgiveness of sins comes because that debt has been paid, then nothing has been forgiven. So it can't mean that. I usually use this illustration. When you've finished that wonderful day, when you've finished paying your mortgage and you, you own your house and you paid the last payment, the bank or the building society does not write to you and say, we forgive you your debt. Because there's actually nothing to forgive. Now, if when you still owe 75% of it or 80% of 100% of it, they write to you and say, we forgive you your debt, that's true forgiveness. So you can't apply redemption as something that pays a debt and then you are forgiven because there would be no need for forgiveness if there is no debt. Do you see what I'm saying? It's contradictory. So forgiveness is something that comes when you still have the debt. So, so he forgave us our sins, not because some debt was paid or, or, or something. He forgave us because he forgave us. Why? Because blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly and chose us. So it means that forgiveness was already released. So the point is before you did anything wrong, you were already forgiven. Before you do anything wrong now, you're already forgiven. Because that's forgiveness, that's what forgiveness does. Now, I would also argue, which we won't get into the full debate of this, that if you won't forgive me until I say sorry, when I say sorry, you're not really forgiving me. What you are doing is paying back my sorry. So it's called retribution, right? I said sorry, so you forgive me. You have given retribution for my act of whatever it's called whereas forgiveness does not demand a sorry now we've all been raised that way kids if you say sorry I'll forgive you and we've taught our kids wrong so that's how they understand God unless I find everything that I've done and say sorry to God how can I ever be forgiven and then they're trying to earn their forgiveness by the nature of their sorriness rather than by the nature of their acceptance, saying, I am forgiven, and now I will endeavour for my life to express the fruits of that forgiveness. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now listen to this, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So the forgiveness is, is doled out and governed by one thing alone, the riches of God's grace. Now, how many of you think that God's riches of God's grace are kind of some tiny little thing in a little jewelry box that he keeps somewhere wherever he is? You know, the riches of God's grace. Or how many of you think that that means more expansive than you could imagine? You, you know, universe upon universe, 100 billion star size forgiveness according to his grace, not according to your sorrow, According to his grace, he forgave us according to his grace. It is not direct, his forgiveness is not related to my sorriness. My sorriness is related to my own desire to walk in the blessing of that forgiveness, but it has no impact upon it one way or another because that forgiveness is given according to the riches of God's grace. Verse 8, I love that he lavished on us. Wonderful word, lavished. Just, in other words, lavish means he just got it everywhere. 
He lavished on us, but here's the key, with all wisdom and understanding. See, here's what the crowd of the other thought of choosing would say. That because God is wise and because he understands, he has to send a bunch of people to hell because his wisdom and his understanding won't allow him to do any different. I say it's the other way around. That what he's lavished on us, he is completely wise about you. He's wise to you. And he completely and totally understands you. Not just what you did, but why you did it. And how much you did it, and how likely you are to do it again, and how much notice you're taking of the fact that you're being stupid. He has full understanding. But what I love about this, it says that he lavished that grace on us with all wisdom and understanding. Which means, no, he doesn't look on you and think, I wasn't expecting that. It's like, hey, I'm wise to you and I fully understand. And my response is, I'm going to lavish grace upon you. And I'm going to put forgiveness upon you. And, and, and what I'm going to do is, is, through my blood, I'm going to bring it to you. Not, not bought it for you, but brought it to you. Because the life is in the blood and we get the resurrection, all that stuff that goes with that. I hope you're getting this. Okay, just two more verses. Verse 9. And he made known to us the mystery of his will. What does that mean, the mystery of his will? Well, we already know that whatever that is, it's according to his good pleasure. Because he already said in, um, in verse whatever it was, um, where's my verse? Oh, he already said in verse 5, um, according to the good pleasure of his will. So, so whatever the mystery of his will is, whatever it is, we know that it's according to his good pleasure. Which it says he purposed in Christ. Now, the reason that's in there is because when he purposes that good pleasure in Christ, it means it's always restorative and never retributive. Do you understand those two terms? Restorative means it's bringing you back, it's bringing you in, it's bringing you up. Retributive means it's going against you, it's going to pay you back for what you've done, it's going to go against you. So because this is purposed in Christ, it means that this mystery of the will, we know it pleases God, so we don't need to be frightened by what that is, um, but it's also purposed in Christ, so it's going to be restorative and not retributive. And then I'll just quickly deal with verse 10. To be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. This is, I wish they'd write clearer than this. To bring all things in heaven above, and uh, all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even in Christ. Okay, let, let me... Let me um, explain a couple of things in there. First of all, it's going to bring all things together. Now, when it uses the term in heaven, it means all things above and on earth. It means all things below. It's going to bring everything together. What we understand in the context of our below life and what absolutely is the reality of the above life, it's that everything is spiritual. It's all being brought together. The purpose of this is to bring it all together. So let me just read this now um, from the New King James. That in the dispensation, which again has caused more problems than you could imagine, we're not going to talk about dispensationalism, but that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. L let, me, let me give you a brief little look into that before we close. 
Dispensation literally means the administration or management of the household and the household affairs. So, so now let me make this verse a little bit more simple. That in the administration or management of the household and the household affairs, he might gather together all things in Christ. So God is doing a little bit of housework. He's housekeeping. This is my house. And in the administration or management of the household and the household affairs, I am bringing all things together. Which sounds to make sense, doesn't it? That, that really sounds like something that would be pleasing and good. And it's like this is what the mystery... You mean the mystery is just all about God doing some housekeeping in the fullness of his creation that in that management and administration of the household and the household of the affairs, that he might gather together in one all things in Christ. Everything going, both which are in heaven above and which are in earth, all in him. So, here's my final point. Therefore, where we started in verse 3, the blessing bestowed on us is in order to empower us to bring together the above and the below in him and in us. That's the housekeeping. That's the administration of the mystery. That's the crazy word dispensation. That's the putting into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. All these things. It's very simply this, that the blessing bestowed on us is in order to empower us to bring together the above and the below in him and in us because we are one. And I propose to you, when our hearts are set on that, we affect things. As I said to you at the beginning, we may have in mind an outcome that we would prefer or like, but there are many factors at work. What I do know is that my life becomes affected when I live in blessing. I know that my relationships become affected. I know that my finances become affected. I know that my thought and understanding becomes affected when I live in that blessing because that's the housekeeping. The blessing bestowed on us is in order to empower us to bring together the above and the below in him, in us. So, we are blessed. The issue is... Can you engage with and embrace the actual blessed state that you are in? Because it's in so doing that we allow all that spiritual, all that kingdom, all that God can invariably not escape having an effect and an impact upon who we are and what we believe and how we proceed and and, and what is impacted and how it's impacted and, and how things change and setting the course for how things will change according to the pleasure of his goodwill and knowing this might not happen in a moment because it's a long time since God created man on the earth. It might not happen in the moment, but as that continues to flow and administer in the housekeeping, it's bringing all things together in one, all things together, above and below, all things 
together. All things together. Stop separating stuff. He's bringing all things together in one. And it comes in him, but that's also then in us with the same dimension and the same measure of that blessing. So my call to action to you would be go and live blessed and see what happens. Think blessed. See what happens. Act blessed and see what happens. Because I propose to you that heaven and earth comes together in one. There's no separation, no division. And who God is and who we are becomes one. And something begins to happen and flow in our situation. Amen.